Questions to the Prime Minister, Nigel Watterson. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, sir, before listing my engagements, I'm sure that the whole House will join me in mourning the loss of our late colleague, Kevin Hughes, who died on Sunday from motor neuron disease. I will remember, we will remember Kevin as a thoroughly decent human being, loyal, immensely likable, a man who showed the same high courage as he approached the end as he had shown throughout his life in politics, and we send our deepest sympathy to Linda and her family. I'm also sure the House will join with me in offering our condolences to the family of Corporal John Cosby, who died in Iraq at the weekend. Our sympathy and prayers are with them at this difficult time. And in the last 24 hours, we have once again had reason to be grateful for the professionalism of our forces, as we've seen HMS Gloucester evacuate British citizens from Beirut. Mr. Speaker, sir, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Nigel Watterson. Uh, could I thank the Prime Minister for that answer, join in his condolences, particularly for Kevin Hughes, who was a very decent man. Could I ask the Prime Minister to find time in his busy schedule to meet with a broadly-based cross-party delegation from Eastbourne, made up of people who are desperately concerned about uh, financial pressures, job cuts, and the loss of core services such as maternity from our local district general hospital. I'm perfectly uh, happy to meet uh, with the Honourable Gentleman and any delegation. I just have to say to him, though, I think it is important to recognise that the deficit in his trust area has to be dealt with. And at the same time as they deal with that trust, of course, hospitals in his area are still going to be cutting their waiting times and their waiting lists. And they have had, in that area, somewhere in the region of 4,500 more nurses, for example, since 1997. So we have put a substantial amount of investment into Eastbourne. I entirely understand the concerns, as the Trust makes sure it comes into financial balance, but it does have to come into financial balance. Stephen Hesper. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will know that the 135th Open Golf Championship is due to start in my constituency uh, tomorrow. It's, it's the first time that the championship has been at Hoylake for nearly 40 years. Would my right honourable friend agree with me and congratulate the partners who brought that about, the Royal and Ancient, the Royal Liverpool Golf Club and the Labour-led Wirral Borough Council? Will he, will he also... Will, One supplementary. Yes, I certainly uh, give my congratulations to everyone at Hoyoke and for all that they have done in order to bring the Open there, and I wish everyone the best of luck. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in what he said about Kevin Hughes? He was a man who believed in plain speaking and hard working, and many colleagues will have fond memories of him in this House, and our thoughts and prayers are with his family. I also join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Corporal John Cosby, who was killed in Iraq at the weekend. He died serving his country, and our thoughts should be with his family too. Will the Prime Minister confirm that this week the key part of the home information packs is being ditched? Um, as a result of the representations that were made... Uh, yep. As a result of the representations that were made... Um, by the Council of Mortgage Lenders. It's not going to be possible to proceed with the mandatory home condition report. However, 
However, we will of course have to proceed with the energy performance certificate since that is now required by European Union legislation. And we will obviously wait until the pilots have, have reported to see what more we can do to make sure that we don't end up in a situation, because this is the reason for the home improvement um, packs. The reason for it was, of course, that we are spending round about a million pounds a day at the moment, or people are, ordinary consumers, on abortive house sales. And therefore, it was entirely sensible, because of the energy performance certificate, to go down this route. But as a result of the representations of the Council of Mortgage Lenders, we are going to have to change that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I think the Prime Minister mug, needs to mug up on this area, because after all, he's going to be moving house soon. <laughs> the, the fact is that the Housing Minister, that's the Honourable Member for Pontefract, she said that introducing home condition reports would have significant risks and potential disadvantages. For months, we were told about the benefits of these reports. Now we're told about the disadvantages. Why did ministers get it so wrong? would be tremendous benefits in the home condition reports, but of course there would, because people waste a lot of money um, actually acquiring the reports and then, and then losing that money if the sale doesn't go through. And that's the very reason for doing it, alongside the fact that we will have to, irrespective of what happens, still have the energy performance certificate. But if the Council of Mortgage Lenders, having consulted their members, say that actually that will not be enough in order for people to get a mortgage because they will be asking for an additional report, of course it's sensible to make it voluntary rather than mandatory. If the Prime Minister is worried about people wasting money when they move house, he should have stopped the Chancellor clobbering everyone with extra stamp duty. Let's look at another tax. Will the Prime Minister confirm that the planning gain supplement tax that was announced by the Chancellor in his budget as a key reform to pay for local infrastructure, that that's also being ditched? Not at all. It's extremely important that we make sure that we extract the maximum gain that we can when planning goes through, because it's important that we are able to invest the maximum amount of money in housing. And since we're talking about housing, the most important thing, yes, the most important thing for homeowners in this country is interest rates half as much as they were in the Tory years. And for someone who worked at the Treasury. When mortgage repossession was going on, I don't think we'll take lessons on housing from him. The Prime Minister needs to get with the programme. The fact is the planning minister has met the Treasury Minister and that forms. And if we want to talk about policy making I've calculated he's had four policies since becoming leader of the opposition. The first was a new British Bill of Rights, denounced by the Chairman of his Democracy Commission as a nonsense. The second was English votes for English MPs, described as a constitutional abortion by a senior backbench MP. Then his law and order policy, hug a hoodie, we've not heard much about that. And finally, his flagship European policy, leaving the European People's Party. First it was to be done immediately, then within months, now not till 2009. So before he criticises our policy-making skills, he should acquire some of his own. These sessions are about the Prime Minister answering questions on behalf of the government. I know he doesn't like being interrogated, but with the way things are going at Scotland Yard, he better get used to it. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, for the purposes of the tape, I'm interviewing the Prime Minister. Doesn't this complete lack of judgment and trusting the Deputy Prime Minister shows that it's high time he and his deputy saddled up and rode off into the sunset? Mr Speaker, 
I notice, I notice he didn't want to ask me about any of the policy positions that he has. We could take another one, actually. Let's look at his policy on nuclear power. Uh, I gave the Prime Minister a good innings in the last set of policies, so perhaps we can be brief. With... <laughs> Speaker, you're, 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 abs you're absolutely right. It's best not to talk about the opposition policy because, frankly, those are policies better for an opposition, not a government. But let me just tell the right honourable gentleman, we will continue with policies for a strong economy, not the boom and bust of the Tory years, for investment in our health service and education, for family-friendly policies, for investment in Sure Start and the New Deal and lifting pensioners out of poverty. We will continue with the policies that have made this country stronger, fairer and better, and not what brought us 18 years of Conservative misrule. Order. Ben Butler. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that we are still clearing up the mess of the Tory years? And, and, although, they, and although they have acknowledged that privatisation of the railways was a mistake, it does not help make stations safer. And will my right honourable friend assure me that the new franchises will only be awarded to companies who put safety first and people before profit? My, my honourable friend is absolutely right in what she says. But I, I thank her for drawing my attention to what actually is another Tory policy on the rail. Sorry. She's quite right. The Tory policy in the previous government was disastrous. Fortunately, it's been turned around under this government. May I begin by associating my honourable and right honourable friends with the expressions of condolence and sympathy, which we heard from the Prime Minister just a moment or two ago. Yesterday, the House joined with the Prime Minister in condemning Hezbollah's bombardment of Israel. But how can we be even-handed if we are not willing to condemn Israel's disproportionate response, which the Prime Minister of the Lebanon has described as cutting his country to pieces? Let me repeat again, as I said yesterday, it is important that the response of Israel is proportionate and does its best to minimise civilian casualties. But I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, this would stop now if the soldiers that were kidnapped wrongly when Hezbollah crossed the UN blue line were released. It would stop if the rockets stopped coming into Haifa deliberately to kill innocent civilians. If those two things happen, let me promise him I will be the first out there saying Israel should halt its operations. That squares with the Prime Minister's conversations with President Bush. In the course of these conversations, did he understand that it was America's policy to allow Israel a further period for military action? Is that why the United Kingdom is not calling for an immediate and unconditional ceasefire? I mean, if what the Right Honourable Gentleman is, is seriously saying to me is that I should call for an unconditional ceasefire by Israel now, if I should call for both sides to do it, yes. Well, can I just point out to him that our influence with Hezbollah has been somewhat limited. It is not going to be possible. They have, I mean, does the Right Honourable Gentleman understand they fired somewhere in the region of 1,600 rockets into northern Israel? Now, I agree what is happening in Lebanon is tragic, 
and terrible, not least for the Lebanese people and for the Lebanese government that is a government that has brought its, its country out of the, of the dark days into democracy. Yes, but if it is to stop, it has to stop by undoing how it started. And it started with the kidnap of Israeli soldiers and the bombardment of northern Israel. And if we want this to stop, that has to stop. Richard Berry. Mr. Speaker, um, does my honourable right honourable friend recognise that these benches are thirsting to discuss the equal rights of Scottish and Welsh MPs? The, um, the priority of parliamentary sovereignty over a Bill of Rights and what exactly it does mean to hug a hoodie. Will my right honourable friend do all he can to secure a debate on these issues in the House since the Leader of the Opposition is clearly fricked from doing so? I can assure my honourable friend we will continue to put forward policies that allow us to have one class of Member of Parliament in this House. Anything else would do deep, deep damage to the British Constitution. John Redwood. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister explain why it is that since the Labour Government took over, Ireland has grown four times as quickly as Scotland? Doesn't this mean that there's not only a problem of disloyalty in number 11, but also a problem of incompetence? I have to say, if the right honourable gentleman compare the Scottish economy today with the Scottish economy of ten years ago, he will find it much stronger, more people in work and fewer people in unemployment, and that's a good record under this Government. If uh, my right honourable friend has a space in his diary tomorrow lunchtime, can I uh, uh, invite him to join me at uh, Charlton Athletics training ground in Eltham uh, uh, to celebrate the opening of their community centre for skills, yeah, yeah. Uh, supported by Charlton's Charitable Trust, by Barclays uh, Space for Sports and also the Football Foundation. From my constituency, Charlton run one of the biggest community action programmes in Europe, possibly even in the world. They engage with young people, provide education opportunities and employment opportunities for them. If he can't, if he can't join us tomorrow, would he send a message of congratulations to Charlton for the work that they do? I'm very happy to send a message of congratulations to, to Charlton on their wonderful new sporting facility that will do so much for young people, congratulate the Football Foundation and Barclays Bank, I think, who are the other partners, and also congrat congratulate Charlton on a very wise re-signing of Darren Bent. Speaker, will the Prime Minister please help expedite the approval of the new PFI hospital at Pembury in my constituency? First of all, can I, I thank uh, the Honourable Gentleman for giving me notice of that question, since it obviously is helpful um, so that I can learn the details of this. Um, all major PFI schemes um, are being taken forward, and the Department of Health has asked Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells NHS Trust in January to reappraise their proposals for the Maidstone and Pembury Hospital sites and to make sure that they could demonstrate long-term affordability. Um, I am glad to inform the Honourable Gentleman that the reappraisal report for this scheme has now been completed, and we're aiming to announce decisions from the reappraisal exercise, including that for this trust, shortly. So we will be in touch with them shortly, and he, as he knows, the capital value of this scheme is almost £300 million. Michael Mitchell. Whatever the proximate causes of the current Middle East crisis, uh, is it not clear that there will be no solution while Muslims believe that the political route to a viable and sustainable Palestinian state is blocked, and at the same time Israel believes that it can get more by the use of military force and annexation of large tracts of Palestinian land, rather than seriously negotiating the Quartet Roadmap? And in those circumstances, should we 
uh, not be not only uh, calling on the EU uh, to uh, demand uh, a very clear and unambiguous statement of a ceasefire, but also, more importantly, more vigorously confronting the US that if they do not put considerably more pressure on Israel uh, for a parliamentary order, it's far too long. Far too long. You see, if I could just say to my right honourable friend, the problem with the negotiated um, solution to this, and after all, it is now clear everyone wants a two-state solution. The roadmap is there and agreed by the whole of the quartet, including the European Union, the UN, Russia, uh, America, obviously. This problem is not a problem that is being held back by America or by anyone's intransigence and refusal to negotiate. It's being held back by the fact we can't even begin the essential preconditions for the roadmap to exist properly. And those essential preconditions are about security, are about making sure that, for example, the thing that sparked um, everything on the, on the Gaza, which was to do with the kidnap of an Israeli soldier, that those things stopped. So I'm look, I share his concern. I pushed for the adoption of the roadmap. I pushed for a two-state solution. But in the end, the only negotiated way through this is by everybody committing themselves to exclusively peaceful, democratic means, and that has to hold on both sides of the border, not just on the Israeli side, but also on the Palestinian side too. Dr. Evan Harris. Question five, Mr. Speaker. The UK uh, Government is currently considering the Council of Europe Convention Against Human Trafficking agreed last year. At present, only one country, uh, Moldova, has ratified this convention. But let me be clear, we are determined to tackle human trafficking. The police have set up the UK Human Trafficking Centre to continue the fight against this crime, and Operation Pentameter resulted in over 150 arrests and the rescue of 75 trafficked victims. Thirty Council of Europe countries have signed it out of 45, and we haven't. Isn't he aware that his minister, the Honourable Member for Gedling, in the Joint Committee on Human Rights and officials said that it was the fear of a pull factor that was preventing the UK Government at the moment from signing this? Isn't he aware that in Italy there isn't any evidence of a pull factor, and a hundred times more women have been saved, and a hundred times more prosecutions? So would you reflect again, and can I urge him, for the sake of the victims of trafficking, for the UK to sign the Convention now? I will reflect again, but he, he, he's right in putting his finger on what is the reason for our refusal to, to, to uh, sign and ratify so far. And that is because the, the Convention requires an absolute 30-day reflection period for victims who are here without leave to enable them to recover from the experience they've been through. And our worry about that is, unless we are very careful about how it's implemented, it will give us a, a major problem with people who come here um, under, the, the, under the auspices, effectively, of organized crime, who aren't proper asylum seekers, and then we're obliged to keep them for a fixed period. Now, we have to examine, I'm afraid, what that means in practice for our system before we can agree the Convention. Dennis McShane. Speaker, the Prime Minister last week agreed to meet a delegation led by myself on this issue. Can I put to him that there's widespread support in the House for the signing, not the ratification, that's different of this convention, widespread support amongst the police, the Anti-Slavery Society, Amnesty International. I'd rather not come to meet him because I don't want to discuss a problem with him. I'd rather the Home Office gave him a solution and before sugar beet and uh, biofuel, uh, which is important. I can't offer, however, any assurances. Uh, obviously, I sympathise with the plight of the constituents, but I would have to see if there's anything government could do, and there may not be. 
the introduction of two weeks paid paternity leave, who voted against extending maternity leave to 26 weeks, and voted against the request of flexible working. Would that advice include the words, on your bike, Dave? I think, I think the advice, if, if that was not just uh, one offence but a serial offence of changing one's mind, I think I would advise them not to open up their leadership campaign by saying consistency is a vital thing in politics. Could I, could I urge the Prime Minister to find some time in his busy day to rethink his holiday plans? I don't know which Italian palazzo he's lined up for this year, but could I commend to him the benefits of a holiday in the United Kingdom? Yeah. One of the benefits for the rest of us, of course, would be that he wouldn't have to leave the Deputy Prime Minister in charge. Of course, if the Italian palazzo has a croquet and a diary secretary, perhaps they could cut a deal. Well, I thank you for that very helpful advice. Mark Henricks. Uh, my right honourable friend will be aware of our policy on renewable transport fuels obligation, which will ensure that 5% of uh, fuels will be made from biofuels. Isn't it the case that uh, a million tonnes of carbon will be taken from the atmosphere every year and that it's the equivalent to a million cars coming off the road? Isn't it true that this government has done tremendous amounts for climate change and will continue to do so in the future? Yeah. Well, my honourable friend is right, um, and he's right in saying that we have done a very great deal to tackle this issue. Unfortunately, we need to do a lot more, and that was the purpose of the energy review. And, of course, one vital part of being able to reduce um, the carbon output is the climate change levy, which will be responsible, has been and will be responsible for millions of tonnes of reduction um, of carbon in, into our atmosphere. And what the energy review does is give us a sound way forward, a proper policy basis for planning for the future of this country. And the interesting thing about the G8 summit is that what we had in, in the British energy review is absolutely full square behind the thinking of the leading countries of the world. But goodwill. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I know the Prime Minister is a big supporter of the tourist industry. Could I ask, has he considered taking his holidays this year in Scarborough? Because I'm sure he'll be interested to know. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be interested to know that many people who visit Scarborough as a tourist subsequently decide to make it their permanent retirement home. I thank him again very much for that, that helpful suggestion. Of course, one of the advantages would be bumping into the honourable gentleman uh, in the course of my holidays. Um, but I intend to have a good holiday, and I wish him one too. Bernie Campbell. Will my honourable friend uh, join with me in congratulating Bly Valley Council's excellent anti-social behaviour team, which is led by Ian Johnson and supported by the local police. Although there are only a small minority of these people, in Fly Valley, we don't hug them, we deal with them. I thought for a moment he was going to uh, add to the holiday suggestions there for a moment, but if I, if I can say to my honourable friend, he's absolutely right, of course, in what he's saying. And although there is a, a great deal more to do on antisocial behaviour, as my right honourable friend will be saying, 
Nonetheless, anti-social behaviour legislation, where used by local authorities and the police, has had a major impact in local communities. We will strengthen the law still further. But there are those who used to describe it as a gimmick. It is not a gimmick. It is a vital part of making our communities more safe. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will know of the widespread disappointment at the failure of the United Nations Review Conference in New York a fortnight ago to agree principles on the transfer of uh, light weapons and arms, even though 150 countries supported that. Can we rely on the UK Government to adhere to its manifesto commitment to challenge the few governments who now continue to block this process? I can give them that assurance. Yes, we've, we've pushed this very hard. Um, for some considerable period of time, but as this question implies, it's not simply us, it's the whole of the international community that's got to agree it, but we do fully support it and will continue to encourage others to support it. Charlotte Adkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My two short art schemes and my two children's centres are transforming the lives of the most vulnerable children in my constituency. But can my wonderful friends give me assurances about their future funding? Sure, uh, my honourable friend, that we will continue to fund Sure Start and children's centres. And she's absolutely right in, in saying they, they perform a vital task in many communities. I know in the Sure Starts in my own community have been immensely popular, and there are around about 800,000 people that are benefiting from them. And the great thing about Sure Start is not merely the help that it gives to the children, but also the help that it gives to the parents as well. And it's had a very great benefit in many constituencies, and this side uh, will certainly continue to support them. Andrew George. Uh, local people in, in my area want to know what they've done to deserve government-appointed trust, uh, trust members and managers who are now uh, slashing services, sacking staff, closing wards and compromising clinical safety. And as the, the Prime Minister is in a meeting mood, would the Prime Minister agree to meet uh, a delegation of patients and clinicians from my constituency to explore the serious challenges behind this extremely serious situation? I think... I know that the Honourable Gentleman will continue to make representations on this, but I have to point out to, to him, it is not a question of management, um, people being appointed to the board. It is a question of making sure that however much money we put into the National Health Service, and we put in vast additional sums that have actually reduced waiting times, reduced waiting lists, reduced waits for things like cardiac care, made sure that we are cutting um, the numbers of people dying from things like cancer and heart disease, it's had a huge impact, but every single trust has to live within its means, and sometimes they have to reconfigure services, but I do not believe that they will do so to the detriment of clinical management or clinical care or patient care within communities. Idrin Bailey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my right honourable friend, it is often said that it's essential to be at the centre of decision-making in Europe. Uh, can he tell me what assessment he's made? of the effectiveness of the current political grouping in representing Britain's interests in Europe? Well, we will, of course, remain as part of the, uh, the, the grouping of the centre-left parties, and it is extremely important. It is extremely important that the Conservative parties also remain part of their grouping. But I've got a feeling that that position has now changed on the part of the Right Honourable Gentleman, and I congratulate him for it. Order.